Data is a raw ingredient that's ballooning and becoming more abundant than ever. It means that we're able to do more cool stuff with AI. But just because we can, does it mean that we should? This week we're looking at artificial intelligence and how it can be used in the future. Here's episode 19 of Sideload. Hello and welcome to Sidelo, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Jermaine Dallas and today we're talking about artificial intelligence. Is it a threat to be feared or an innovation to embrace? And what can customers expect in the future when they interact with brands? Will we all be speaking to robots in the future? Well, we're going to talk all about that today. We've got a couple of thankfully human guests with us in the studio who are elbow deep in this whole area right now. So Nils Mork Ulness is head of strategy for the science team at the insurance company AIG. He's in charge of an innovation team that's investigating AI to find out how it can be used in insurance products. And Miles Cameron is head of creative technology at Edelman Deportivo. That's our digital specialist in creativity arm, by the way. He looks at how emerging technologies can be used in client campaigns to help them tell their stories in new ways. Nils, Miles, thanks so much for joining us on Sideload. So Nils, let's start off with you. In, in what ways are you looking at using AI at your company? Um, well, you know, as, as a preface, I can um, maybe re related to um, what I was doing before. In a previous job, sure. I was uh, at a digital agency, worked with a lot of consumer brands. Um, and it's interesting because there's a lot of interest with innovative technologies and AI, Internet of Things, sensors, and what all, all that can bring. But the reality is often it's hard to actually find a business case for, for doing that. Um, you know, there's only so much AI you can put on, uh, in front of a soda brand's uh, customers. But the, the thing that struck me coming to insurance is there's an application for AI and sensors and related technologies just about everywhere I look. Mm. Um, but so we're, we are applying it in everything from sensing risks, uh, through to improving the customer experience, customer servicing around claims uh, and helping our employees uh, do things farter, faster and, and smarter. Uh, so examples are um, using um, computer vision, for example, to um, analyze images and look for risks or to understand quickly uh, where risks might lie. So for example, could detect uh, problems with a bridge using a drone and then use um, computer vision to then do that at scale, through to um, automating um, document analysis to look for anomalies so that an underwriter can more quickly spot uh, potential problems um, so you don't end up mispricing or, or taking on risks you shouldn't be. That all sounds really fancy and, and really whizzy <laughs> and clever, but is the industry ready for all of that technology right now? Um, well, I think I think I think the industry is getting ready, but it's going to take some time. And, and, and it's that's a that's a the readiness question is one that's composed of several layers. One is simply data. Uh, that's the biggest hurdle. And in, in fact, if you think if you look back at AI and the promises it had, you know, over the last several decades, you know, we entered a what they call an AI ice age where nothing really happened. But then what happened? with Google and Amazon and, and, and the digital platform starting to collect massive amounts of data with 
gotten to the point where where data is is no longer a scarcity, but in some places abundance. But still, a lot of companies struggle with sense of the past and their legacy data. So problem number one is data. You know, we've been through a journey of that, and we're, we've gotten to a point where we can we can build models. But I think a lot of companies still are catching up. Uh, second thing is is talent and being ready. From a talent perspective, there's a talent war, um, so that's that's one that everybody's facing. Uh, and the third one is is understanding the, the the use case and the business applications, and 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 you know actually solving a useful problem rather than some shiny technology. Yeah. So, so those are, I think those are some of the. I mean, there are other elements like, you know, um, how do you approach it from a regulatory point of view, etc. But yeah, don't, that's mm. another rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> and and I, and I suppose Miles, from from a, a customer standpoint as well, it's it's another issue because I'm I'm sure that um, customers who they they might not use all of that the, the back end side of things, but they will still hear the letters AI and they will get a bit worried, won't they? Yeah, well, I think I think where people have been using AI in particular in the like recent years is really been processing that data to enhance user experience. Um, from a customer standpoint. So if I went to you and said, okay, you know, find me the nearest petrol station, for example, who's going to pull out a map? You're not going to. You're going to talk to Google. You're going to like go to go and search or you're going to actually ask Siri. Uh, and all of these systems are powered by AI. But users and consumers don't actually realize that. They don't realize the amount of data that needs to be processed for those types of services to exist. Um, so the truth is that AI is all around us. Mm. It's just hidden. Um, and people shouldn't be scared of it. In fact, they should embrace it. But people see what's portrayed in movies and books um, and think that the AI is going to take over that whole entire world. Um, when in fact, if you want the lifestyles that we've got used to, for us to have that lifestyle, we need to use AI services. There's too much data for humans to ever analyze. And so that's why it's so important for us to have the right types of services, the right types of regulations in place, such as GDPR and all of these new regulations that are coming through to make sure that at the heart of it, the consumer is being focused on and that we're not misusing that data um, so that they have a better experience overall. So AI is friend and not foe then, uh, Nils? I mean, as with everything, it, it depends on how it's used and the intent of the, the, the builder of it. I mean, there certainly are examples of, of, of AI being used for uh, less friendly purposes. Um, so the scrutiny shouldn't be on necessarily on the AI, although, you know, should make it transparent so so we can understand what's going on. The scrutiny should be on, on the people using it and, 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 and there it's incumbent on mm. on us to, to, to handle it. So there, yes. was, there was there was an example recently in the news where I think it was Google, uh, I think it was the DeepMind team or it was the um, one of the other AI teams who were basically approached by the um, the US defense um, arm and they wanted to use AI to better spot um, threats for drone attacks um, and the, the team, the AI teams refused to actually do that work and actually raised a petition to actually stop that work happening. So you can see like these types of AI applications, they can be easily taken and abused if people aren't making sure that they're not being used in negative ways. It's just like anything, you know, more power, more responsibility. Um, so 
and AI does give you a lot of power. Um, and I would argue that if companies aren't looking into AI today, specifically ones that are processing lots and lots of data, they will quickly fall short of their competitors. Um, so it's very, very important for us to be able to process that type of data as efficiently as possible so that people, real people, can focus on doing their jobs better rather than doing the menial tasks that they like going through all of that data to actually make sure that we're seeing things. And so you see like people like Google and YouTube, for example, their algorithm, even though there's been lots of complaints about how it does all the matching, it's physically impossible for a human to do that job. They would need hundreds of thousands of people scouring through all of those videos to be able to tell you whether that's got negative or like mature content in there. So you need to use AI. Um, but yeah, it completely depends on the industry and it completely depends on the application. So I think that's a really important point that you raised that it's, you know, taking out those tedious tasks. I think, as you say, media and, and has, has overstated the case of what AI can do, mm. when in reality, actually, where it's really useful is, and where it's gotten really good in terms of accuracy, is taking the small cognitive tasks that take humans a second or less to do mm. and do it at massive scale. So it can take a lot of the drudgery. And I think when you ask, is it friend or foe? Actually, it's definitely friend in the sense that it could take an awful lot of the menial tasks we do uh, and in a sense extend our, our minds uh, by, by uh, enabling us to sift through things much faster, much more effectively than we yeah. did before. And it, and it doesn't replace us. Right. It's, yeah. it's not it's not a like for like thing. It's just it's it's like the industrial revolution. Like if you go back and look at what's happened in in history, machines have come out to help us so that we can have improve our lives. So when you had the tractor come out, it helped people plough the fields so they weren't spending all of their time plowing the fields. Yes, some people would have lost their jobs, but it's actually changing the job types that are available. So instead of now people having to go and plough the fields. They're helping sort it, and now they've got. And if you look at the number of hours that people are actually working, that's declining. So that's going down and down and down. So it's giving people more free time to actually do things that they can pursue, like their passions, their creative arms. Um, and that's all that's happening. So all of these new technology revolutions just reduces the amount of load on humans, so that we can actually focus on things that we want to be doing. Um, so, for example, where we use AI today. We use AI to help us process lots of data. So we do influencer work. So we use AI tools to help us find influencers. But at the end of the day, the AI does not choose which influencer we use. Mm. You know, we decide that. We have a team of people who are experts who then go and go, right, here's a subset of data that we've now got and we don't have to sift through 10,000 people. Instead, we're sifting through 100 people. And so it just helps us do that initial pre-filter. Sure. Um, so let me ask this one to you then, Nils. Are, are you worried about AI introducing bias that's difficult for the business to spot until it's too late? It, it again, it's sort of it's it's any um, any bias that's introduced is introduced by the human building it or the information you feed it. So again, it's incumbent on the the user um, to to ensure that they think through that and they have an ethical approach to to it and and that any biases i mean biases happen 
all the time is systemic in, in human behaviors. Actually, the opportunity is to remove bias by being very cognitive about where they might be and then making sure that um, the algorithm is bias-free and therefore actually um, will remove systematic bias in, in, in society. So I think that's the opportunity. But, but how do you make sure that um, an algorithm is bias-free? Well, I think I think um, you you've got to put in place um, the the right oversight and, and processes. Um, so, and, and as a company, you have to be responsible and take an ethical approach to it, and and be open open with the public, with the customers, and with regulators. I think also, you know, one of the things that you know has been the case in. Uh, is that there's a trade-off between explainability and transparency in algorithms. So mm. the better the, um, uh, sorry, the explainability and accuracy. Uh, so, so the better the algorithm is, the, the more accurate it is, the harder it is to understand how it made um, its recommendations. So that's one challenging bit is that a lot of these black box al algorithms are, are difficult to understand how, how they arrived at their decisions. But the good news is that that's actually changing and there are some new approaches which make even some of the more advanced algorithms more transparent. So I think I think more work on that and, and, and full transparency in algorithms is, is um, you know, is is going to help, and and that's something we we as a company are committed to 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 help further as much as possible, and that's including a dialogue with with uh, academia and and with regulators and uh, around that. Because I I think that's the only way that's the, the only thing that's going to put people's minds at rest, isn't it? Being able to see how algorithms arrived at a specific um, endpoint. Yeah, but AI also allows us to see biases. So we know that bias exists, as, as you mentioned already, but by running it through AI systems and processing all of this data, we can actually then see, oh, actually, there's a bias this here. And a lot of people wouldn't even see that bias because we're talking about such large scales of data. So if you're talking about the media, you know, we can then apply AI and big data to media coverage and then actually see if there's bias there or not. Um, so it, it has like the pros and cons against it. And I think the only real way of getting rid of bias is for us to get rid of bias, full stop. Um, yeah. And that's obviously not going to happen anytime soon. So the only thing we can do is train AIs to make sure that they understand that that's bias and to either ignore it or highlight it or whatever we want to do with it. I suppose you've got to change the, the people that make the make the algorithms before you can change your algori algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. get, get, the, get rid of the bias in them and then help to get rid of the bias in the algorithms, doesn't it? Well, let me ask, ask this question. So companies now have access to more data than ever before. Um, and it's data that gives them a clearer picture of their customers and potential customers as well. So how does that change the way that they operate? Well, I, I, I mean... I think, first of all, uh, we've seen that companies uh, are uh, valuing data a lot more than they have in the past. It's not to say that they didn't, I mean, supermarkets built loyalty programs, hmm. invested billions in it to, to learn more about their customers back when we had you know, fewer ways of getting, getting information. Uh, but I think with the growth of data and the growth of the importance of data, companies have, have seen the value. Uh, but there's a big stretch between or from seeing the value in data and talking about data all the time and CEOs talking about data through to um, 
acting on it and getting it right. Uh, but I think a lot of companies are on that journey, and 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 um, it it's challenging because you've first of all you've got to like I said before you've got to pay for the sins of the past where you you've got patchy data, then you've got to join it all up, start to try and get a, a full view of the customer, and and patch it up with external data and 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 then drive business value out of it. So it's a multi-stage process, but but I think a lot of companies are are at various stages of that journey and some some have gotten very far. I think and I think the whole industry is just it's very exciting the fact that all of these new digital services pretty much the number of APIs that exist out there that you can start pulling data from all sorts of sources, whether it's like weather, traffic information, footfall in certain areas, like sentiment on social media, you have so many options that you can then tie into your existing data set. So while it might not necessarily be personal information that you're processing, it's contextual environment in information that gives you a picture of what you're looking at. It, and Yeah, and I just want to add that, that that's part of our strategy is, yeah. is precisely an API-based one where we where we see holes in our data set, we're using APIs to then mm. basically enrich that and, and, and complement our, our existing data sets. And, and, and that, I think, is, is adds a tremendous amount of value. Mm. Well, we're going to talk a bit more about what this all means for customers in a moment. But first, let's take a quick listen back to the last episode of Sideload when French startups were on the menu. I think will be the next big thing. We have a very, very good health system in France, uh, maybe one of the most um, uh, good one uh, around the world. And they created last year the health tech. Uh, so this is the same model uh, than French tech, is to showcase um, our health system uh, around the world and to help other countries to develop or enhance their system. Uh, so scientists, doctors, but also startups are working together um, to be sure that our system is feasible and that we can disrupt uh, this industry. Uh, the government um, is one of their priority to be sure that we digitalized our health system. Uh, and I think it's really important uh, outside the tech, uh, purely tech uh, world. You're listening to Sideload and today we're talking all about artificial intelligence and the impact on both brands and consumers. We're still here with Nils Morg Ulness from insurance company AIG and Miles Cameron from Edelman. So what's the general mood of the public, Miles, when it comes to using computers or robots to do the things that they're used to seeing done by humans? So as soon as you mention anything being AI based, there is a massive hesitancy. Um, and you know, rightly so, it's new. Um, people don't know, people don't like diff change. They don't like things that are different. Um, but as I mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, when we're using artificial intelligence, a lot of the time they don't even know it's there and it's actually enhancing so many of their experiences. Um, so I think as things start getting better, like AI right now from a consumer standpoint, from what they actually interface with, is extremely basic, right? So chatbots, um, voice assistants, you know, you know, everyone knows when you try to use them, they, half the time, they don't know, even know what you're talking about. Um, and they can do basic tasks. So right now, I think there's a lot more to be done um, and it will be extremely exciting um, as we develop those types of technologies. But right now it is very simple. 
Um, so we definitely take a light touch approach when using those, those services. Um, and we don't try to inundate the user with too much at once. Start off slow and then build it up and test and learn. You know, we shouldn't be trying to get the consumer to be doing too much. Instead, we should be finding out what they are willing to do and what they aren't willing to do and learning from that and building on that. What's been the mood from customers at your end, Nils? Well, you know, I think um, as, as Miles points out, uh, you know, m most people don't realize when they're interacting with, with uh, artificial intelligence and, and also, uh, you know, the things that are in, in place today are, you know, they're relatively simple. Um, I, think, I think where we're going to be five years from now is going to be very different. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the the litmus test is: is it useful? Does it create value for the for the customer? Mm. You know, um, when when a Google user uh, starts typing and Google auto completes the sentence and it saves some time and effort, um, you know, that that's a delightful experience to the customer. Uh, and if you remove that, they're going to be upset. So you know, that's if if you're able to. You get that sort of, and that's AI. If you get able to get that sort of um, reaction from a customer, then you're doing it right. Yeah. Uh, but if you're, if you know, if you're coming up with recommendations of no use using AI, well, then then you failed. And at the end of the day, what a consumer wants is something that's quick, easy, and low cost. And by using a AI, you can do all of those things. In particular, cost. Think it, by using artificial intelligence, we can reduce the number of like complicated, expensive processes that happen, and you can actually produce something that's a lot more cost-effective for the end consumer. Um, and not only that, but it can save the company money. I think a great example is where Google acquired DeepMind um, in 2014, I think it was, um, and they pretty much instantly applied that technology to their data centers. And by applying it to their data centers, they're able to save 15% of their energy bill. And as you can imagine, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of electricity you're saving there. And that's not just good for the company, but it's good for the environment. It's good for everyone um, because now they've actually got that money they're saving. They can then put back into R and D, which then enhance their products. And it's a full circle. And then what the consumer gets out of that is better services, cheaper services, faster services, and so it all it's just an all up great package for them. Sure. Um, there's a lot of talk about voice at the moment, um, but it's, it's one thing for people to use their voice to ask about the news headlines, but are people really ready to use their voice to buy financial services, insurance, etc.? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the, the use case for voice, um, you know, is using it in the home or in the kitchen or in a car or in transit. It, you know, when you have your hands full or, and you're in a more private space, the, the use case is, is, is quite good. It's different in an office, for example. Um, so, but it's a, diff a different use case than when you're interfacing with computers in, in you know, on your, or with your phone or on your desktop. Um, so I think being co cognitive and mindful of, of that when you're developing apps. So I think, for example, with financial services, you know, you're not going to want to do a complex transaction, you know, especially think about um, 
you want to be able to see the numbers, and 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 it's it's a very different uh, interface than when you're talk, talking to to a box. But let's say, for example, um, asking for your balance, that's something that makes sense to do in you know at home with a, a voice assistant. So I think, you know, it just just be mindful of, of what what the, the the problem you're trying to solve with it and, mm. and and you know voice does have its applications it's just not the same as as uh, on a desktop and i imagine you're looking very much at voice as well at the moment yeah so voice is a really interesting one in the fact that loads of people want to do something with it um, loads of our clients are really interested in the space but no one really knows what to do with it yet because as i mentioned before is the technology isn't quite there yet there's bits um, and you know we're starting to go okay yeah this could be useful but until you can actually sustain a conversation with a customer without them going oh I'm talking to a robot <laughs> um, it doesn't it doesn't really have the appeal um, what we want to be doing is driving conversation and right now as I mentioned you ask it a question half the time it doesn't know what you're asking so it makes it very very difficult what you do see is things like the Alexa and Google Home, where they they have pre-built like determinate um, queries that you can ask it, and those do add use to people's lives. You know, I want to play some music in my kitchen now. I don't go onto my computer, figure out the playlist. I just ask Alexa, play me my playlist, or I'll talk to my Google Home, and I do actually have both at home. <laughs> uh, can't be biased, um, and. Yeah, and I use them on a daily basis, but I use them for very, very simple tasks. I wouldn't, currently I would not use it to make any purchase transactions or I, I wouldn't use it to do anything that is more than a sim, simple command with a simple answer. Um, and anything more so, yeah, I wouldn't expect consumers to do the same. Or expect consumers to have that same attitude. Really interesting thing is, as you say, they're really simple, and they, they they struggle to even put two related commands together into you know yeah. some logical form. And yet, the ability to actually understand what uh, millions of variations of of you know accents and voices. Uh, are saying and being able to then translate that to a command that's that's incredibly yeah. difficult and incredibly complex so just to get us there mm-hmm. has taken a massive amount of work but and yet they can only do really really basic things but then you know from there we, we will learn it right and and, and it, you know computing power only gets better and, and the algorithms get better yeah and if, you, if, if you compare when Siri first came out um, I can't even remember when it first came out. It's like 2013 or something. But when that first came out, it was so basic and it had so yeah. many problems. And now you just look at the whole plethora of different voice assistants that you can get, um, whether it's Bixby, Google Assistant, or yeah. or Alexa, or even uh, Siri. And all of them are using very similar systems, and they're all helping each other almost. Like um, So the Google Assistant is completely open. Anyone yeah. can use it and actually plug and play with their API. And so it means that anyone can use that service on their app or in in any voice activated um, scenario product that they want to use. But Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's, it's definitely a good thing. Um, <coughs> but as I mentioned before, the technology is not quite there yet. But we do need people using it so that we can make it better. So as more and more people use it, um, the better it will get, and that's why I think Google probably have 
focused on the in-home market because as you mentioned earlier people don't want to use this in the public they want to use it in their own private time um, and that's when you're going to find people actually using these types of services um, I, I personally don't use any of the services on my computers I will use it occasionally on my phone but the in-home devices I do use mm. often yeah. so I think it's just that slow gradual creeping into your life type thing rather than it being here's a device you're going to use this now um so that's yeah it's, it's a slow progress towards it and i think we move much slower than technology moves so while there might be loads and loads of technology options out there doesn't mean that people are going to use it it's the whole the the whole push and pull thing yeah. you know people are only going to use it once there's an actual value there that they can they can understand and they want to use and I think I'm going to actually feel comfortable with it as well <laughs> and I think that's where like you've got the kids the younger generations as they're coming up and they're growing with these technologies surrounding them they're so much more they're so much more astute to the technologies and the functionalities that are available to them um, and so I'll be chatting to my brother and he'll be who's much younger than me he's like 15 years old and he will be using his phone to search for all sorts of things and they barely touch touch um, technology anymore mm. um, when you can rip them away from Snapchat that is yeah. <laughs> but all of these services they're just used to and so I think as the generations change and as people's perceptions change there won't be the same scenarios that you see today and people will have different attitudes those attitudes change every time a new generation comes through so while we're based on generations, the technology won't slow down. It'll keep going, but we'll just see this massive push every single time this, these new generations come through as they get used to sharing more of their data because they understand that my data is safe. I trust this company and trust is a big thing Like you need to trust Google that they're not going to share your data. Um, and once they trust that they can give up more data, mm. they can get more back. Um, so it's definitely a two way thing. Um, so yeah, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> so how, how should you communicate your use of new technologies like AI to customers? Like, should you hope that they don't notice that they're speaking to a robot and not a human, for example? I, I think it depends, but I mean, we, we're a uh, platform we're building that's an AI first, uh, uh, platform. Um, it, you know, we, we're actually, we created a little symbol to show where where we've made assumptions based on API data and, and, and machine learning, et cetera, and to make it very clear that you know we think this information is, is relevant and then the the customer can interact with that. So that's one way to do it. I think but I think it depends on um, on how far back in you know is it in the back room you're you're applying the AI to to improve a process or are you are you Actually, applying. You know, if you're talking to a robot and you don't know it, that's that's a bit creepy on the one hand. If it's too good, and it's really disappointing if it doesn't work properly. Well, so, well, well, that's well, that's what massive is 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 the end goal that we want to get to the point where the AI is so good that people don't even realise they're speaking to a, a robot. It depends who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Google's end goal is definitely going to be like they want to create an assistant where it feels seamless like you're talking to a real person. But we know that customer values, they still want to have that human element. So it's not about replacing people, it's about helping people. So 
for customer service, there's definitely, you've seen when you phone up most customer service centers now, you already have an automation piece up front that asks you some questions. The better that automation is, the, the faster you can be put through to the right person. So instead of it, you would have used some of the new services where you actually talk to it. Um, rather than pressing the buttons and waiting for the right option to come in. It's like, what do you need? And then you, you speak into it and then it goes, okay, I understand what you just said. And using my learning, I know which department I need to put you through to. That in itself has made your customer service experience so much better. And they know they're talking to a bot because it's an automated response. Um, but they're still being put through to an, a real person that can help them. And so you've immediately you've just saved the company so much time because you've used a service that has automated the the boring part of the process. You know, the bit where it's like, now we can actually send someone straight away because they've got a banking problem or they've got a problem with a transaction that's just happened and they're not happy with it. So it, it is important for them to understand what is automated and not, but at the end of the day, they're not stupid either, you know, they'll know what is automated by the way that they're interacting with it. And I don't think we should, right now, the technology is definitely not there. It's not strong enough for, for us to be able to say, making a service where someone thinks that they're not talking to a computer. Um, if you can show me that and it beats the Turing test and all, all those things, um, mm. then we'll be having a different conversation. But today, there isn't any service out there that can have a genuine conversation with someone where someone isn't going, this is an automated service. So what happens in the next few years then from a, a user experience standpoint? Yeah, actually the, the user experience question is, is, is an interesting one. Um, I think, I think we, we use a human-centered design approach to all the AI products and services we build. Because we believe that if if it's if you're not actually starting your your uh, software development efforts by by understanding the user's needs, then um, then you're not going to add value with whatever algorithm you build. Um, so so I think I think a lot of the AI efforts so far have have probably not sufficiently sort of approach it from a, a good UX point of view. But I also think that there's a whole bunch of new UX challenges, like voice is an invisible interface. So what is UX when the interface is invisible? I mean, uh, Microsoft and Amazon have been hiring script writers from the movie industry to work on their uh, AI uh, assistance, because it, it, you know, it really changes what, what UX um, and design actually is. Um, and similarly, if, if you're building expert systems using machine learning and AI, um, then you know you can take the black box approach, which is kind of what the, the Googles of the world have done, where you know you start typing a search and stuff just happens. Um, it would minimal user interaction. Um, or you can take the approach of actually thinking about UX and opening up the the black box. And allowing the user to to interact with it and query it, and, and shape um, the insights coming out of it, and I think that's the really really interesting user experience challenge. How do you design that? And that's one of the things we're working on uh, on a range of different applications. Is sort of how do you how do you create that human expert um, uh, algorithm interaction um, in a way that makes well actually both smarter. <laughs> 
So yeah. basically having a feedback loop to make sure that when you're getting that feedback, it's positively um, changing the algorithms and then it's making that algorithm better. So it's going off that. And all of the new digital services, so if we just take step away from algorithms for a second and we go towards something that most people can understand is that a website, the content that's being displayed to you right now, it works in a very linear way. I want to show you this content. But in the future, as systems get better and we have more of a better understanding around the interactions of the people on that site, that site owner could then go, okay, I'm going to put in some software that is going to talk to an AI, understand the behaviors of that user on the site and start serving more intelligent content for that is tailored for that user. So when I go to Google search, it's already doing it now. So I do a search and it's automatically pulling up things that it thinks that I'm going to want to be clicking on so that I'm not clicking through lots and lots of pages. On a consumer site, or a, let's say a brand site, they'll be able to use these types of services and go, we understand who this user is, so here is some content that we think is best suited to them. So it's personalization, but on the next level. So it's not just a show this then, show that then, it's all of the content will be coming up through um, from the person's preferences. And there's actually whole systems that are being developed that will automatically design sites based on preferences. So not just the content itself, but the whole layout, the design, the colors, imagery, everything is created based on what that type of person is and what they want to see. So it's, <laughs> it could completely change everything so that it's not black and white anymore. It's not like here is a site with a standard structure everyone sees something slightly different. Wow. Which is exciting and also scary because then you're like, I need to control this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but sometimes if, if you want the best user experience, it's not about control and not having something that's rigid. So that change could be massive. So that change in, in perception and, and psychology for brands specifically could be a big hurdle, but also could unlock a lot of doors for people. Sure. Well, it looks like there's a lot to look forward to from the world of AI. So um, Nils, Miles, thank you so much for joining us on Sideload. And thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to get in touch, send us an email to sideload at edelman.com. See you next time. Bye.